0: Hi, everybody. I'm Catherine Kane. I've uh, uh, retired in May from the Harriet Beecher Stowe Center after 20 years and a career much longer than that, but we won't go into that. And I'm joined up here, thank you very much, by Jim Vaughn, who has retired twice.
1: <laughs> I got it right this time, though.
0: Yeah. Uh, and uh, we were talking about this at the uh, annual meeting last year. and. Uh, I know that Larry and Carl were there and I know I talked with them about it and with Jim and people were saying, oh, we should do a session on that. So here we are. (laughs) But I think um, you know, rather than do a sort of formal lecture presentation, we kind of did an outline on some of the content. um, And I brought a list of resources I can pass out. But it just seems like the way to start is maybe ask all of you why you wanted to come to this session. We are being recorded. Uh, to share with our colleagues. Um, uh, uh, so keep that in mind, and, and we'll either repeat your se- or questions or you'll yell <laughs> mm. loudly, right? Um, so that, that, that makes it. L- there, there goes another chair. This is yeah. hysterical. Two. More. two. Okay. You can take two at once. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you're incognito because you took your hat off. That's
2: right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, This is a a leadership transformation is a huge change for an organization. And so uh, it deserves uh, thought and consideration. And of course, for the individual involved, it's a huge change as well. And it's hard to, uh, in some ways, hard to imagine what that change and transformation will be like. But it's an opportunity for the organization and an opportunity that you wanna do as well as you can. And not blow it. Hello.
3: Oh, he's 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 he's
0: counting. He's counting. All right. Uh, Of course. Also, um, we recognize that there's a. We were talking about generations a minute ago. There's a a, a boomer wave of retirements coming. Um, The biggest. We're one of the boomers are one of the biggest generations, and that is just starting. We also observe that people work later in life than they once did. So that means, so you know, so I retired at 68. Um, my father had to retire at 65. Um, Jim was post I retired 70. at 68 the first time. Did you? Yeah.
1: 74 when I retired the second time.
0: Yep. We have colleagues in their 70s who are still working and enjoying themselves. And so uh, the circumstances are different. So we wanted to talk a little bit about how do you know when it's time. We wanna talk about preparing yourself and preparing your institution and what are some of the kind of categories uh, in which to organize thinking about that. Overall, I thought about the transition as a, as a project. I've broken into project categories. You all know what those categories are, right? You make the assessment, you make your goals, you make your tasks, you make your time frame, your budget, your uh, uh, the, all the things that have to get done, um, your communications plan, etc. But that can help deal with some of the overwhelming feelings. Well, speaking for myself, I had, as I started to plan for this. So you all came to this session for a reason. Maybe you could throw out a few so we can target what you want to know.
4: So I'll say um, one of the things that I'm very interested in is running an organization that has uh, about 100 full-time employees. Been with us for 10 years, but may be approaching retirement age anyway. So, you know, I have about 40 of my people um, who are uh, reasonably approaching retirement from one or another. And you know, thinking about how, how destabilizing a transition is, whether it's at top leadership or it's in organizational levels where people have very deep institutional knowledge <coughs> that's going to disappear, um, and to see what we can do to you know, be prepared for that and to give the organization some stability in what seems to me to be truly destabilizing uh, situation.
0: So knowledge transfer is part of it. And so is part of that transition when you've got a lot of employees. So I'm going to repeat things a little bit. Uh, a lot of employees uh, coming up on retirement with a lot of knowledge and then the destabilization back.
2: And I just want to say, I guess I'm here for two reasons. Mm-hmm. One is um, I work for the federal government, and our budget has been cut, 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 cut. And our branch of the, our agency has been cut, 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 cut. So there's two of us who will be retired within the next couple of years who have tended to pool, uh, have either self-selected pool responsibilities or they were you know, <coughs> have a, people who are willing to work have things handed to them. Uh, there's no guarantee that we will be replaced, and yet the staffing is so far reduced that I'm not sure how they will, the, the people who are left, will be able to pick up the slack. The second thing is, I would really like to sort of, because I'll probably be either sixty-six or sixty-seven when I retire, and I really want to maybe go into freelance, work. and I just was going to see if anybody else had thought about that. To, um I'm an archivist but I'll, I would like to go into freedom's research whether I would work for myself or there's several agencies that hire people to do that. Do you anybody has any thoughts on the best
0: role. So you're talking about how do you cope with uh retiring when you won't be replaced?
2: Yes.
0: For the institution? Yes.
2: We have the staff
0: And you're asking what's next.
2: Yeah, but real specifically, right. what's next.
3: Yeah. Right. Sure. I'd like following up on your comment about institutional knowledge, I'd like to know how you have retired, have maintained relationships with your institutions, and how available you are, or um, you don't want to be seen as um, hovering and offering suggestions unsolicited but you also want to be available if, if needed and have how, how, what type of relationship you have.
0: Yeah, that's an important one.
3: Yeah, it is. It is. Other?
5: Uh, I mentioned this earlier but in case more people have come in so I'm working at an institution where we're working on opening a new facility and it's relatively well understood that there are a couple of high level positions our CEO, we're probably gonna retire once that new facility opens. They'll obviously get through the opening and get it all established, but um, I think once that happens early next year, they're probably gonna start eyeing retirement. Um, so just would love to hear about people who have gone through it and what your process was, what, what the plan was like, um, so that we can be prepared.
0: So as a staff person, what, what are the processes, mm-hmm. how to be prepared?
5: Right, and I, actually, I work in the
0: marketing department, so the communications aspect of it is really interesting
6: to me as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> so, yes? Just uh, any resources that people have dealing with succession planning, being um, with two organizations uh, where that was not done, and um, seeing the bad effects of it, and uh, if anyone has had good experience, good books, or anything
0: I'm going to pass out my little pieces of paper with, this is a sort of bibliography to help answer that question that has a few articles in it that I have found really helpful. Maybe we'll keep one up here. (laughs) So if you can pass this around. I do uh, field
7: services Uh um, in my state, and uh, so a lot of the organizations I work with, a a real common sort of thread I see is is, uh, Staff, generally, most of them are small, so it's either one or two-person shop, but, uh, but uh, where the, uh, um, <coughs> the retirement is contemplated um, for a long time by a, a leader of an organization that I sort of jokingly describe it as they're going to be, they've been retiring in the next two years for the last five or six years. <laughs> and, um, and then, but it always sort of seems like, and then it happens quite suddenly. Uh, and uh, so it's a phenomenon I've just tried to kind of figure out.
0: So you're saying it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Oops, it's here.
7: And and so I don't know if it's (laughs) it's sort of about the conversation. I think most of the time when somebody's (laughs) contemplating retirement, I think rightfully so, there's not a lot of input from others about you know. I mean, it's a very personal decision, of course. And so, but how? But the organization does, of course, have a vested interest in. I think it's difficult to have those conversations uh, to not make it seem like you're pushing them out the door, or they're or they're not ready to go yet, or those.
0: And that's right, it is a personal decision. Um, but it's an institutional decision, too. And that's a, we want, I think, that to be a key message of well, this and conversation. Well, I want
8: to tag on to what, what you just said, because you're bringing up the topic from an external role with the person right. who's, who's retiring. But one of the things that uh, I've looked at in other organizations where the CEO has retired and in contemplating in my own organization trying to to as objectively as possible figure out when is the best timing and what is the best for your organization so as an example uh, in my state my organization is very even though we're a nonprofit, we're very dependent on state grant support we're going to have a major change in not only our governor's office but in leadership in our general assembly come January of 2019 having relationships with that new leadership is a key factor to the stability and uh, the sustainability of our organization so how do you time the the transition uh, and when is it best to get someone new in the CEO position so they can be building their own relationships with this new leadership whereas uh, I'm the CEO I'm talking about, you know my relationship most many of the people that I have long and successful relationships with are now retiring themselves out of government. So, so that's just that's one factor specific to us but leaving while it's still good for the organization versus creating a senescence (laughs) in the organization.
0: So how do you time the transition and how do you time it so, while it's still good for the organization?
9: Okay. I retired in June and a small organization, but uh, I knew that our maintenance man was also going to be leaving. He's a critical person. Uh, what I didn't know was that in the months following, um, our archivist, who was after 17 years also left, as did the education person, uh, which meant the only people left with any history of the organization was the bookkeeper and the accountant. Mm-hmm. So there is no history left with the organization at all, uh, and that's that's a little just disruptive and mm-hmm. disturbing. You know, I know I have to step away, but uh, it's it. I think that the board needs to think about you know the the larger <coughs> question of you know there could be a domino effect.
8: Yeah. You do you see that? Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: I think you should expect it. Yeah. Yes, I think
8: you're right. I think, yeah. I think you're right.
0: Well, but you should, just to repeat, uh, to, um, a domino effect when the CEO announces leaving or has left, others will go too, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the destabilization. Gonna?
1: Well, I was going to say, you know, organizations go through this change a lot. It's just that there's a different tone to it when it's a retirement as opposed to, oh, so and so just ac- accepted the job as director of you know, the Nebraska Historical Society, and they're gone in a couple of months, and life goes on. But when re- retirements require a lot more um, planning, and, and the transition takes a lot longer, and that that provides a lot of opportunities that you don't have in an instant transition, but it also p- provides a lot of risks for an organization. Um, one of the one of the things that Um, I was concerned about was once you announce because in both cases I announced a year before I actually retired Um, and um, once you announce are you a lame duck or are you an interim director?
8: So how did that work? I mean did, did you feel like the benefit of having the year outweighed the disadvantage of being
1: the one out the door a long time? Well, Catherine and I might disagree on this one, From, but uh,
8: Not the first my,
1: my, uh, <laughs> my uh, attitude was I wasn't going to be a lame duck. I was going to be an interim director, uh, and I was going to keep launching new initiatives and keep things going. I, I look at, you know, it took a long time to get the organizational flywheel mm. turning, and you don't want to take your foot off the gas, because then you're making a real problem <coughs> for whoever does come in and take your place. Um, so you have to keep the energy high and keep keep things rolling and so I I envisioned my role as a, at that point as being an interim director as opposed to being a lame duck and uh, and I, it's a psychological thing but I think it was important for the organization did it
4: work
1: yeah yep yeah. it did yeah. it, well it worked for me and I'm pretty sure it worked for the organization as well so. as my organization had
6: discussed my I was going to say my You talked about actually overlapping with with a new person and doing that for six months or a year. I wonder if anyone's had an experience with that, success in that.
1: I haven't seen. uh, I I would oppose that uh, if it were me. Um, because again, normally when you come in as a director you're coming into an organization because the previous director's either been fired or just taken a new job and you are you're the boss from the day you arrive and open the door to your office and uh, um, so in both cases when I retired, um, I disappeared. Um, I knew the staff had my phone number. Uh, somebody asked this question or pointed this earlier but... Uh, I think uh, my last job was uh, as director of the Pennsylvania Historical Museum Commission, and uh, they hired uh, the search. The search uh, committee hired a woman who was on the staff to replace me, and uh, who happened to be my closest friend in the organization. Um, uh, I didn't play any role at all in the search, which I also think is uh, well. If you're if you're interested, we can talk about that too. But uh, um, I think that uh, she's called me maybe six times in the last year because she wanted to talk through uh, an issue. Um, not surprisingly, there are almost always personnel issues as that surprise <coughs> uh, and she knew that I'd had a long you know a long uh, relationship with a person involved, and maybe I could shed some light on it. Okay.
2: speaking to that from a staff viewpoint we had. Uh, a number of years ago, we had a director step down or retire, and his replacement came from outside. The uh, it didn't wasn't anybody who was promoted of it internally. It came from outside, and the old director, to his attempts to stay in touch mm. and kind of undermined the ability of the new director to. Uh, to kind of establish the way he wanted to run things, because you had the old staff who were looking. I mean, it, it really was counterproductive and from the staffing point of view, because you felt like, well, you know, the new guy he says this, but the old guy always did it this way, and it was very frustrating because I was fairly new to uh, to that particular job at the time, and so I could kind of see how they were undercutting him in the way that needed to establish. Stuff.
1: Well, in the 45 years I've been in this field, I've, I have witnessed some really bad handoffs where the retiring <laughs> director hung around. And uh, almost inevitably, the new director would last a year or less, because you can't have two heads running the organization. We were, we
2: were fortunate in
1: that the new guy was, um, mm-hmm. he, he had dealt with tougher customers than the Good. There, Oh, <laughs> yeah. Continue. <laughs> I think you can do that you can do that in a successful way um, uh, the one on one introduction of uh, in, in my case it was state state legislators uh, um, but stay away from the office um, uh, you know go to, go to go to lunch and introduce the new director to a donor or have him at the house or something but the but uh, I literally uh, have only been in the door of PHMC once in the last 15 months since I and it's retired. B-
0: it's because it's not just about the incoming executive. It's not just about your successor, though it's partly about that and giving that individual room to do the job their way, not your way. You have to get out of their way. I, I completely agree on that, and I think it's really important. But the transition of relationships is a different thing. Um, so Jim's suggestion I concur with. But you have to uh, not let the staff see uh, you around or give them an opportunity to sort of feel like, oh, oh, you know, whether they like you or don't like you, whichever way it is, um, because that de- destabilizes the new person. So it's not just about the successor, it's about the rest of the staff and the board, too. The new the new person has to have the leeway to do the job.
1: And, it, and it's a little harder than you might think, because normally when you've change jobs, you're immediately engaged 100% in the new job and, and it's not easy to let go of the old job. You have to let go of it. But when you're retired, you've got a lot of time on your hands and, and you can unintentionally do a lot of damage to the leadership of the new person.
2: things that need done that you could
8: really do
1: for them. Yeah.
8: Except that yeah. I agree, I think that's not the time. Yeah. Would you
5: even stay away from like, attending programs?
1: Really don't go through the door. No, I was. Uh, in fact, um, they badly wanted me back uh, on Tuesday night. They were opening a gallery uh, that we started working on five, five years ago and the uh, reinstallation of a gallery. And, uh, and I, and I would have gone for that, except I had to get on a plane at you know, eight o'clock in the morning, so uh, I didn't go. But, but
8: you and
1: yeah, well, I think just you
8: don't actually live in Harrisburg.
1: Yeah, it's a lot easier. Okay. I, yeah, yeah our CEO is
5: probably going to stay I think,
0: where they are. Well, uh, and what I've done is uh, I've gone to the Stowe Center's um, big annual event, which mm-hmm. I founded. And, but I, I didn't really want to go, but I felt <laughs> like it was my responsibility. and I, uh, The development people asked me, and I talked to the director. I didn't answer them. I do everything through the new director and uh, asked her what she wanted. And she said, yes, I'd be delighted if you came and you got to introduce me to people. So that was my job. And I think that transition of of support knowledge and community knowledge is really important. So we did a few things. We did, uh, you know, I spent months doing sort of um, development history stuff and downloads there. So it wasn't just me that had a body of knowledge about these quirky people um, and we've done meetings with people so she can meet them um, and um, but she also has to have her own relationship. So we tried to make sure that it wasn't just me that had all the relationships, right Other people were sharing the relationships and when I started thinking about it, that actually was already the case. So some of the people who give money and stuff, the collections people had relationships with so then I brought them more into it. so for the last couple of years, I did a lot of things. I, things I used to do by myself, somebody else was with me. So that, that was an informal way, and a formal way to transfer that knowledge. But the question about uh, 40 potential staff transitions, you know I might talk to an, some archivists and some development people about how to pass that knowledge on, that's a lot. It's a lot.
9: Mine was a small organization. We did, the board, uh, we discussed it when I announced my retirement, and we agreed on a two-week transition, and that was simply for me to show the new person around the building, because this was a big part of my responsibility, uh, to know the building, and to understand the yearly timeline of when certain things had to be done. And that's what I focused on. Uh, and people walked through the door, it was not my place anymore. I made sure that she was introduced and she took care of it. But uh, you know, there are certain logistical things that we felt was necessary for me to do a short transition. I
3: think your point about connecting your successor who have been your supporters, people to you've to worked with, is, is key. Um, because I, I've been in a position where my predecessor um, was given a part-time job, office, mm-hmm. state, for. Uh, get the call, this crazy person is doing such and such. What do I do? Do you really have to get, <laughs> <to> get this <laughs> man? And I'm trying to speak be, because I'm an anticipate staying in the air. But, um,
0: so, what, yeah. so if the staff calls you and said this new person is a crazy person, what would you do?
3: Well, I would I would say you talk to the person or I'll get your information together or why do you think that I would listen? Because I, I'm assuming that this happens it will be a person who is sincere and Terms. And I say go back because sometimes experiences too. A new person can come in and make pretty quick judgments. Mm-hmm. stay a little bit longer because I, I might disagree with you a little bit about, on, on that because I think it could have helped the <coughs> person transition I think this person had personal but because of family relocation she would uh, have had on that after a month and I think she could have helped build some relationships on, on, on this on the university campus that the new person did not get there I think I think from um,
9: we,
0: we all keep talking about the institution and things, but I know of one case where a very careful
9: transition was planned with overlap of the year, and the
8: outgoing director said, you know, anytime you need my help, call, I'd love to have lunch, whatever, and the new director never called, and the outgoing director was terribly hurt. And I think that's something you have to be, that's another Air reason Ford. to say, yeah. Yeah.
9: I am really leaving. <laughs> I'm not going to wait for
2: the phone call. I'm not going to expect the phone call. I'm going to something
0: else. But yeah, when you're leaving, you're leaving. And you have to get your head around. Yep. You're gone. And they don't need you anymore.
1: Yeah. One, one of the things I found was uh, I had to deal with very delicately uh, and leaving PHMC was helping the commissioners. We have a, we have a commission instead of a board helping them uh, figure out how they go about finding a replacement. Yeah. Um, and, and as an outgoing executive director, you're, you've got to walk a very fine line there, I think, because you, you can't pick your own successor. And you don't want to play an why act. Why not?
0: Tell us why you can't pick your own successor.
1: Because it's not your decision to make. It is, it is the board's decision to make. But you can line people up. I mean, I brought, I brought some people in well in advance of the time I announced my retirement, which was more than a year before my retirement, um, under false pretenses, and had them spend a couple of days uh, so that, uh, because I thought they would be good candidates, so they would know the organization. Because I don't think most people uh, outside of Pennsylvania understood how big that organization is. Uh, and uh, we, our budget was $90 million. Uh, and uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's a major organization, and I wanted to make sure that we had candidates in the pool when the time came who knew the organization and would um, throw their hat in the ring. And so we, had, we did. We ended up with a very strong pool of candidates. We hired a, a search firm out of Philadelphia, um, but I found that the... Um, uh, my board chair asked me to serve as an advisor to the search committee, but we agreed early on that I would advise them through the process of hiring a search firm, because they didn't know how to go about that. And once they hired a search firm, I would only uh, advise when I was asked. I wouldn't go to their meetings. I would stay in the shadows, and, uh, and that worked out. That worked out very well, and it w- and it was a. It was good that it ended up the way it did because at some point they got uh, they got focused on, uh, and this is where I think my coaching was helpful. They get focused. Board members get focused on the resumes in front of them, mm-hmm. and they are and they get focused on this person has three and a half years experience, and this person has only two and a half years experience, and <laughs> it's like and and you have. I thought the role that I had to play for them is. Um, help them define the characteristics that they want in a leader for the organization, not get bogged down in the details of a resume. And so we finally worked out a list of, you know, in in a sense, character, uh, the the character of the person that was, what they all wanted was they wanted to hire another me. Um, This was one of the times I was a beloved director. Uh, and uh, if, I, if I do say so myself, and, uh, and they all agreed that the most important thing was that we'd gotten this place moving, uh, uh, gone a, we'd gotten a lot done in five and a half years and they, they did not want to see it slow down, but they understood that the staff, I built a staff that responded to my kind of leadership and they needed to find somebody who would provide the same kind of leadership, not necessarily go in the same direction. but but would relate to staff in a certain way. And that all got, came down to looking at the personality and the characteristics of the candidates and figuring out how to, how to gauge those, as opposed to looking at the resume and that they had this kind of experience and that kind of
8: experience. I have uh, an experience to share which is, which is in that vein. Uh, this summer I had the opportunity to participate in a board retreat in another state for, for their State Historical Society because they had a director who had announced his retirement a year in advance and he was helping his board through the through planning and the transition and what he did, which I thought was very interesting and seemed to be pretty effective, was he, for his board retreat, invited CEOs from three other State Historical Societies to come in and meet with his board to discuss what skills and traits we felt uh, a CEO in a position for an organization similar to theirs should have to be successful Uh, and it also just so happened that two of the people on the uh, panel of the three of us had recently been through executive searches uh, in the last couple of years for uh, similar sized and larger organizations, to there, so they could also speak to questions from the search committee among the board members about, well, what kind of, you know, what should we ask, how should we handle interviews. So they had very uh, good information they could share from the experience. So I thought it was in- interesting and clever that the CEO who was retiring, who was giving his own advice and guidance to his board, because they'd asked for it, brought in three uh, outside organizations to meet with the board, and it was about a two-hour session, and um, he he felt, said the board really got engaged and excited about it and gave them things to think about as they began working with the search firm that they had just engaged. Mm-hmm. to see what they need to look at
4: so I, I thought that
0: was a very smart way to approach things how did that work in your size organization Kathy? so I to what Jim said about the process I I uh, I was worrying about timing um, we had a big project and I wanted to uh, restoration of the Stowe house and I wanted to uh, didn't want to dump that on somebody else Um, you know all of the elements of that uh, including continuing making sure we had the funds we needed so but that like any construction project was a moving target and didn't hit the intermediate goals I'd expected for very good reasons Um, and so I I was holding off sort of the formal announcement stuff But my board leadership knew that it was coming. And then the day came when I knew it was gonna be okay and we could make it. And so I essentially gave 10 months notice. Um, And then the board had the conversation about are we gonna use a recruiter or not? Are we gonna have help with the search or not? Because that's a board decision uh, and an important one. And I've seen it work both ways. Um, And they decided to use a, a search use search assistance and then they had to do interviews uh, and identify who they wanted to work with. And I gave them names of potential groups. But um, overall, and I made it clear from the beginning with staff and board that I was not part of the search process. I was external to it and that I was um, an advisor in the sense that I was feeding the pipeline, I called it. Making sure that people knew this was coming, uh, that I thought that they might be good candidates, etc. Um, I wasn't sure if there'd be an internal candidate or not. Uh, I thought there would be. Um, uh, but then I also was coached to the board chair informally when he hit bumps in the road and or I thought he wasn't communicating well with the staff or enough with the staff because staff feels very vulnerable they were clear about that they feel very vulnerable and and i was but so did the board because they don't hire nonprofit ceos my board chair at the time was a litigator in a big firm you know think on his feet like a charm but uh he'd never hired in a situation like this so the teaching but we had people on the board who had uh, so Um, They built the search committee and went from there. But there's a question in the back.
2: How did the the board staff interaction go in both of your cases? I have a CEO that's leaving, um, and that's been the hardest part to navigate as a staff member who's staying. It's like how much information do I want? How much are they going to give me? So if you can just talk a little bit about that and maybe some things you learned through going through that process or through watching your staff go through the process.
0: Well, and I imagine Jim and I have both been staff while the leadership changed. It's Mm -hmm. It's an experience we've all had. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
5: Well Well, so do you guys feel like you're acting in your consultations with your board as they're finding search committees and as they're going through this process? Do you consider yourself kind of a a voice for the staff as part of this process as well? Because it would seem to me the board, sometimes these people haven't worked in museums. They have no idea what The real work is occasionally, Mm -hmm. Um, so it seemed to me like they would need a lot of coaching on what to look for, so that the staff feels like the person they're going to bring in is right for that position and is right for that institution. So that would be, I guess, my concern. I feel like that's a little bit of what you're you're getting at is the the concern the board doesn't really know the best kind of person for this position and being about you
1: know, their knowledge well uh, at phmc we had a staff me- we had one staff member who was a member of the search committee mm-hmm. um, the board chair and i sat down and talked about who that should be and was obviously the board chair's choice um, our our organization we had like five we had five divisions and they each had a person who was a ceo caliber so like uh, the state archivist or the director of the state museum. So. Um, none of them applied for the position, by the way, which surprised me. Uh, um, and then when they actually brought people in for an interview, um, they had, a, they had uh, all five of the bureau directors were participating in the interview process. So there was a lot of staff input into the final decision. They had set up a nice hard set of rules about how they were going to interview and ask people. They tried to ask people the same kind of questions at each interview and all of that. So it was pretty structured, uh, thanks largely to the search firm that we use that managed all that process for us. But I think the staff of the institution felt that they had a strong voice in the selection at the end.
0: And at the Stowe Center, well, the, one of the questions was, did we feel like we were representing staff? And the answer is no. Representing the institution, but not the staff. Because I, I didn't feel that that was my job. I did not want to be intermediary between board and staff. Because normally I, I, I was. But no, I had to remove myself from that uh, and, um, in, and encourage the board uh, to communicate directly with staff. And so I think there can't be too much of that kind of communication
6: so from the board to the staff. In your organization, did, did the staff serve on the search committee? No. no not the at all. board
0: considered that. No. And the staff advocated that. But the board decided, since they didn't know if there'd be an internal candidate, that it wouldn't be appropriate. And I think that was a good decision. I mean, I stayed out of it, but in that case, it was a good decision.
6: I think your comment. Uh-huh. And I wish I gave them fair I gave them a fairly long uh, warning that we were a we party. But they asked me to review the resume. And that felt extremely awkward doing that, but I saved them a lot of money because I went through the resumes and I knew these people in <laughs> UK easily say, this resume looks good, but I know this person, this is not going to work. And and you could quietly sit behind the scenes and do that favor for, for the board, whether they have a search for or not, but we have a little better handle on, on who's in the field and what they're doing and what they've
0: done. I, I didn't review the resumes, but when they got to a certain point, we had agreed that they would tell me who the candidates were, and I had said that if I thought there were if I had red flags, I'd tell them. But that was the only evaluative information I gave them.
8: It seems thinking ahead and working with your board, developing a board that
0: you have confidence that could you know, do that process developing a board that can do that process is a really important step. That's exactly right. Not to jump in here, but when you do the assessment part as the CEO, you want to make sure you've got the board where you want it and that the board leadership at the time that you're making the transition is going to be a good person.
8: Yeah, And then if they hire a firm, our community is hiring a new chief of police and it's been a total disaster in my opinion. I mean with letters to the editor from rank and file, complaining about the process. and So um, my view is the firm they hired to do this did not do a very good job, because you,
2: that kind of community breakdown is not good at all.
0: And that might be partly communications.
2: It, I think there were a number of issues in that process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I found that one of the roles I didn't expect to. Play, but had to play was as a coach for the search firm because the executive search firm that they chose, um, although they advertised that they had a strong non nonprofit uh, office, they really didn't have a strong, at least in the mu- in in the area of museums. And so I, I literally, I think in the last six weeks that I was there, I felt like I was working for the search firm, not. <laughs> Not <laughs> for PHMC because they would call me two or three times a day um, with questions about candidates, questions about the uh, job description, questions about um, and uh, and they're you know they're a major um, national firm. Yeah, they, they, big money too. they got really big money. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but in the end, with the
9: help, at least they got yeah. something good. Yes. I have a
5: question um, about communication. Um, and we are
2: preparing to announce a phase retirement because of the community, and we get out and with, but we're still three years out, so it's going to be a long time. How do we how
5: do we communicate this with our all of our external audiences?
2: Um, press releases, different
0: things. Do you have any thoughts on how you would communicate a a, a retirement really three are,
2: years out? We really haven't. Um, he and I just talked about uh-huh. this. It's coming in about. I'm uh-huh. To say something,
8: but it's going to the board first. Yeah, but it's
2: three years out?
0: Three years. Well, you do a phased thing on the on the big announcement. You you got to do the you know the board first, and then the staff. Uh, but you're doing the staff at the same time. This is what how I thought it through anyway. You're doing the staff essentially at the same time. You're reaching to the major donors and or stakeholders, however you wanna. Uh, describe that. So they hear it from the CEO, um, and they hear it directly and personally. So you've got to pick those people with the development people right right away. So you've got all that, that organized, so you can just sort of hit the button and go. And then yes, there's the regular press release, and perhaps there are press people you want to reach out to, you have relationships with, and give them a heads up, so there can be maybe an interview, uh, and uh, or two or twenty seven. And um, it's an opportunity to focus on what's been accomplished under this leader, um, but also you want to start orienting to the future and the excitement of this transition, make it exciting and not a disaster, not a sad thing. I
3: feel like you just
7: described a capital campaign, the <laughs> no, yeah, sure. it like it like yeah. quiet. Yeah, it is. In a way, it's human capital. The only thing is, once that is
0: Which is, right. I mean, if
6: it's a three-year, you you can't make the announcement at the end of year one because everybody in the community is going Mm -hmm. to know that you're going to want to control. You want to control that announcement right from the beginning.
0: If it's a three-year departure, you want to do it. At the beginning. At the beginning, yes, exactly. (laughs) That's right.
2: Because if the community don't have details, they will fill the details in. Yeah. We've seen that. And that's the plan
3: going out to everybody at the same time. You, you said based retirement. Phased within the university structure. Would it be a part-time um, position?
8: Um, yeah. No, it's yeah. hard to explain. I, I would say uh, less hours every year. Like, he'll take leaves, essentially. Okay. But it's not really gonna
3: it's not going to change. Go when you announced your plans to retire, um, was it until a successor was name, or did you give a specific date? Like if that search firm had failed to bring in, or you had someone, I have one one museum that once was ready on Friday to announce on Monday, the new director and the new director pulled out for the weekend, yeah. and so they had to start over so the old one stayed for a while longer. longer yours was yours a specific date or until filled?
1: Mine was a specific date. Uh, one of the things I was going to tell you is expect for the search to take longer than you expect. I know that's a double expectation there, but. Uh, Uh, I announced, I told my board chair in September, she had just come on board as a new chair in August, and I wanted that to be right up front. Uh, And then I I told the staff, and we told the staff and the rest of the board in December, that's when they formulated a search committee and began to plan. And then we thought that we'd be able to get this done in time for me to retire on the 1st of July. And it turned out that they didn't quite make it. Um, they went about a month beyond the 1st of July before they finally hired a new director. Uh, but, uh, but both the chair and I agreed that I, I, sh- that I should stick to the t- July 1st date. Um, and we had somebody who we, who we agreed could be an interim director. Because they, they, were, they were down to the final negotiations, so they knew they were going, going to have it resolved within a few weeks, and so there was no need for me to stay.
0: And I did a similar thing. I had, I gave 10 months, um, 10 public months. And I thought that was probably enough time for a search. And it was, um, though it was tight. You know, once you get the board, the board has to get a little cranked up first. That, that didn't yeah. happen quite as fast as I thought it would. Uh, they sort of have to get their heads around the whole thing, even if they, like many of them know it's coming, but they have to get their heads around it. So you know, and we had succession plans, we had the documents, that they, they looked at that recently, whether it was the emergency succession plan, if if if, if you know, something had accidentally happened to me, or, or a, a planned succession, so we had those documents, they had a framework, they used that framework, they'd thought about it and discussed it, um, but then uh, uh, um, the new executive, there was about a six week gap, and I gave them a hard deadline, I was ready, I didn't want to hang around. Mm-hmm. I knew if I gave them any leeway, they'd take it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was kind
1: my attitude, too. Wasn't it? Yeah. You know,
0: they yeah. just would. It's human. And yeah. so it uh, was so about six weeks, and we had a, a, a really stand-up board member short interim. He was a volunteer and just kept steady on the tiller, and that worked very well. So. And the other question is, sorry, I know oh, one no. <laughs> The other thing we haven't quite addressed is the question of an interim. Because you can do it with a timeline that includes an interim. Um, And I decided not to recommend that to the board. They could have done it anyway, but not to recommend it to the board. It could have made my timeline shorter, and that was very attractive to me. But um, because once you make up your mind, you've made up your mind. Um, But I decided that it was not a positive thing to have a double transition. We were in pretty good shape. And so we didn't really need a cleanup person, an interim to come in and do some hard stuff. Um, and I thought it would be a pretty good transition, and, and it would be it's, you know, enough of a lurch for the organization to have one transition, not make them do two. so Not make them break in two people. So, yes?
7: Yeah, I, there's one question that I, based on something that Jim said early on, and I've been sort of trying to wrap my head around it, I can only think of one answer to it, but you said, you, you really sort of like pointedly said a retirement is different than the other than a CEO leaving or, or being fired, and I feel like the exception of the timeline. I haven't heard much that is different with that. Can you just extrapolate on why you why you think that?
1: Well, um, obviously it's different to the person retiring, and, <laughs> and we should talk we should talk about that in a minute. But uh, I think it's because it takes it takes so long. Um, but you, you want to have a smooth transition. And most transitions are forced transitions because somebody's taken a new, new position. Uh, and, and you kind of scurry and get done what you have to get done. But it's not as methodical, and it doesn't, and it doesn't stretch out over as long a period of time, uh, usually. Um, and so I think, it, I think there's a kind of a tension that builds in the, st- in the staff because, because of the length of time that this process takes. And uh, so the, I think the staff is more nervous about this. We all, we've all had you know directors who got a great opportunity and left on short notice and have, have lived through that experience. But uh, when you're building toward a retirement, it just seems like the psychology is quite different. Um, and um, let me this might be so we have a little time to talk about. Um, you've all been talking about the effective retirement on your institution and uh, uh, and that's important uh, but but um, what you've what you've done throughout your career is you've committed yourself to an institution and sometimes you change the institution and that commitment goes along and now you're going to go from from that institutional commitment to what and uh, that transition can be a shock. Uh, that's not why I failed my first retirement, by the way. But uh, uh, I, I think uh, we we live in a world in which most of us, I think, get up in the morning, and we're anxious to get the work. We love the work that we do. We feel good about what we're doing for society. You know, we're we're not we're not uh, like some people. My I I had a board president when I was director at the Hermitage who was a Really successful attorney, uh, and we became very good friends. And one day he said to me, "I can't wait till I retire so I can do what you do." And I'm thinking, "Why are you spending your life as an attorney if you really want to be?" Yeah. And he was a real history buff. He he loved his history. Um, so uh, um, after uh, Catherine uh, asked me to join her in this discussion, uh, there was a uh, a little piece in uh, the AARP newsletter that was uh, a, a list of questions to ask yourself. It was, the, the title was, How Do You Know When You're Ready to Retire? And, uh, and it, was, it was from a book, I have not read the book, I just read the list, but the book was called Don't Retire, Rewire uh, by Jerry Sedler and Rick Miners and um, I thought some of the questions were interesting. And the one that jumped out at me is the one, what will make you rise each day as excited as you were at the high points of your career when you're retired? And uh, so I think I think one of the things, as we we're talking about preparing the institution, you've really got to psychologically um, prepare yourself and your spouse and your family for uh, the fact that your life is going to be doing something different. and. Uh, uh, I think you, Janet and I, my wife Janet and I, had this discussion for years. What do we want to do when we retire? Where do we want to live when we retire? And what we noticed was that the, uh, the where we wanted to live changed. There was, first there was Montana. But then as we got older, Montana got colder. <laughs> then there was New Mexico. Uh, these are two places that we love and we visit frequently, and uh, and then we decided that no, we could, we could rent New Mexico week by week, rather than give up all the stuff we've gotten used to. We live in Washington D.C. and we love all the museums and the cultural life and stuff there. So, that didn't that um, that changed, but the what do we want to do question became almost a joke, because our answer was always the same. It was. Uh, well, um, we want to lead interesting lives, we want, to be, we, want to, we want culturally rich activities, we want to learn something every day, we want to, we want to travel a lot, we want to um, have time to read a lot. And then we always looked at each other and said, wait a minute, that's what we do now and we get paid for it. Why retire? <laughs> uh, and um, so I think that the, the important thing for me, at least, was, was uh, the first time I retired, I hadn't worked through a lot of this stuff as well, and uh, uh, I, I think I thought that retirement was going to be like having every day to be a weekend. Well, you know, when you think about it, your weekends are not always relaxing. You go to the grocery store, you do the laundry, you vacuum, you you know you do, and you can only do that two days a week. What are you going to do the other five days? And um, uh, Janet and I uh, read. A, we do read a lot, and uh, we we read we read competitively. Uh, we have we have these lists, and who's going to get uh, who's going to get more points for reading good books, that kind of stuff. Uh, what, a what a surprise! <laughs> yeah. and we we read. Uh, you know, we plan two two major trips a year, and we spend a lot of time working on the itineraries. We read a lot of books. We went to Bulgaria and Romania back in uh, June. And we didn't know anything about either of those countries. So we each read a dozen books before we went. It's like a graduate course. Um, so our life in retirement is, is rich and full. We, we also, I also made a very bad mistake with my family. I told them for 50 years that when I retired, I would finally start working on the family history well I have three sisters if they don't get a draft chapter once a month they call and where where is it where's the next installment Um, so uh, uh, this this second effort at retirement has gone very well because I'm just busier than I ever was but I think thinking about that question of what is going to excite you to get up in the morning is a really important one, and it shouldn't be one that you're afraid of. But I mean, it's one that you need to give some thought to. And uh, um, how are you doing?
0: And I, um, I think there's an urge with this as thinking about your personal life after leaving your organization. I call it no more nine to five, because it's not like I'm not doing anything here. I am at ASLH. I have commitments, other commitments. Um, it's not and it's not the sort of what color is your parachute, you don't have to figure out the rest of your life uh, before you retire. The best, one of the best pieces of advice I got was you've got to know what you're going to do in the first six months. You have to have something, something meaningful in the first six months. And then you figure out the rest of it. Because as a CEO, we adapt our personalities to fit these jobs. And when someone pointed that out to me, I thought, "Oh, I wonder who I am now, <laughs> because how? Because my interests and my reading and my work and my relationship have been all been formed by this work that I value so much. But you know, there are other things I value too. Am I going to put more effort into those? And so you you're ask those kinds of questions. For me, it's just three or four months, and I'm." So I don't, So November is my six months, I think, and uh, maybe I'll give myself another six months. I don't know. But it still feels like vacation, so.
9: And one of the hardest parts for me was um, I no longer have a title. Yeah, the but identity I, question. For the first time yeah. in how many years I'm no longer executive director, chief curator, whatever I was. So what do I put on my business card? I have a business card. And, you know, registering for this conference. What do I put down? <laughs> it doesn't
0: say anything except my name.
8: <laughs> the but, but, oh, my gosh, <laughs> You're right. <laughs> exactly what you're saying. Your identity
0: changes. Yeah. And you don't want to underestimate what that feels like. No. It but feels
8: I like the maritime. I mean, your title on the...
0: And I negotiated yeah. that with my organization. Yeah. It's the one thing That's I asked a great for. Item. Yeah.
8: doesn't cost a money.
0: Yeah, and when yeah. you're chair of ASLH Council, you need a title. <laughs>
8: <laughs> but they didn't put it on here
0: on my name
2: tag. Um, yeah. On
8: this question of, of thinking about retirement and what you're going to do in retirement, this, this is a statement that has to do with staff of people who are reaching retirement age as well as those of us. Who are at retirement age, but um, several years ago we had a situation uh, in Tennessee where the director of our state historic preservation office, which was an independent agency within state government, was very—he had become very ineffective. Uh, Dozed off at his own commission meetings, that kind of thing. (laughs) Oops. But, but uh, there was no no pressure on him to retire. And he really ended up hurting his organization because he stayed long past when he should. And I had a conversation with uh, someone in the, a commissioner in the department to which he was attached who had, uh, like Jim, retired from a previous uh, uh, job with TVA and then come into state government was looking at retirement the second time. And we were talking about Herbert and my friend Tom, Tom that I was talking to said, and I said, well, why, why won't Herbert retire? Because he was in his late 70s by then. And he said, Tom said, he's gotten too old to retire. Because, and that was a very insightful statement because what had happened was the director of the SHPO office had reached an age where he just could not conceive of what he would do with his days because for almost 40 years he had gotten up in the morning, got into that office, really didn't have any pressure on him and by the time he was the age that he was to produce anything or do anything. And, and he couldn't conceive of what his life would be like if he didn't have that office to go to. And so the, the lesson that I took from that is that sometimes we have to help people see that for their own benefit, they need to go ahead and retire while they still have enough interest outside of work to enjoy rather than, as I mentioned before, creating a senescence within the organization that this organization more than 10 years later still hasn't dug out from Mm. because they they lost respect among all their constituents and because they because they had such poor leadership for so long and so I think as CEOs we have to contemplate that as you were just discussing but I think as staff and boards it's delicate but finding a way to encourage someone to take the, take the step when it's time is, is necessary we had that problem with um,
5: our education department head. She stayed much longer, and it was clear that um, it was time for her to retire. But she, I think, it finally took our CEO. And so, I'm at an institution where the, I would say half the staff has probably been there for 20 years or longer. The when you get a job here, most people stay. Um, I've, I've been there for eight years. Um, our CEO, who's retiring, has been there. She's been a CEO at least for probably twenty years, and had been an um, archivist before that. Um, and our education department suffered for a long time because this person didn't didn't retire when she should have, and trying to figure out, and we've had a few staff members in the same position because so many people have been there for so long um, and it's what they do every day and then those departments end up suffering because you know there's just not a lot of like, account- accountability and our CEO doesn't want to step in because that, they've all worked together for so long, they're all friends, um, yep. they're friends outside of work, so it's, it's become difficult.
4: <laughs> One of the things we're doing on that uh, is just general so that succession plan is, mm-hmm. you know, we're recognizing where we have very long time people who are greatly valued, right. um, but that we need to start to bring younger people in behind mm-hmm. you who know, have been staying for a while. So, we're <coughs> a private nonprofit, so I have the flexibility to see how to create some new positions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's delicate to say to somebody who's been the head of the department for a right. long time. But uh, you know, what we've done is to say, look, we want you to concentrate on this now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to move some of these responsibilities to this other person. And right. it, it was challenging. Yeah. unfortunately, they're good people that we've had good relationships with, and we have to talk to them about what we're doing. Yeah. Um, but we've, we've created some new positions, duplicating people, essentially, in the organization. Yeah. Um, and you know, whether they're in six months or I have one, it's indefinite, really. Really? Um, but I do have the new person already in place now. So um, that gives them is, you know, the, the way to, to start
8: thinking beyond. And they can start okay. to think, you know,
4: if I can focus on this for as long as it works for me. I'm doing a special project. I'm valued by the organization. But in fact, the next person is already in the organization. and we're, I'm creating probably two more of those right now um, in circumstances where I know the person's going to do some kind in the next three years. Right. Uh, and unfortunately I have that flexibility and you know, i said to the board, we're going to spend more money doing this, but yeah. this is a key part of our strategy for dealing with this potentially very large transition in the organization is to say, you know, we're backfilling before it happens. Yeah, that's
0: well, and of course, we're up against our time here now, and I'm happy to stay and talk a little bit more, but to wrap things up here, that's a very important observation in the work that you're doing to have that continuity and the structure that you're making to have that knowledge transfer. Because the final thing we do as leaders, whether we're CEOs or managers, is make sure we leave our work in as strong a position as we can. And that's what this is really all about. It's our final task. So thank you all for this. Great discussion today. Evaluation forms in the back. Please rank us all (laughs) 10s. You you presenters out there were fabulous. So thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you.